Welcome to Godpod. This is a podcast from St. Paul's Theological Centre in London, based at Holy Trinity Brompton. Mike Lloyd and Jane Williams join me, Graham Tomlin, in talking about theology, life, God, and just about everything else. Well, hello, and welcome to Godpod number 52. And um, we're well into our second half century now. Well, I think well. Speak for, speak for our, yourself. Into our second half <laughs> century. Yes, that is older than my own age, I have to say. It's the same as my age, is it, it has to be said. Yes. Well, and yeah. you'll notice I'm not commenting one way or the other. <laughs> <laughs> well, and as you can tell, um, well, it's the kind of home team today, which is... Um, uh, the you original our names? people. <laughs> what, are you, what are you called? Um, Michael Lloyd. I should, I should have a little badge. Michael in large letters. Michael, very nice to see you. And uh, Jane as well. Hello. And uh, me, Graham Tomlin. So uh, we have no guests You remembered today. your own then. I did. <laughs> That's very encouraging. Yes, it's a kind of it's good thing. just in his second half century. <laughs> Senil- senility is coming on fast. Um, so we have no guests today. Just ourselves. So switch off now. That's right. Uh, Ourselves and a rather large plate of rich tea biscuits. Which Which only I am eating because the other two have given them up for Lent. Well, Graham has given them up for Lent. I've given them up for For health reasons. Yes, I usually have dried pineapple, organic fair trade pineapple instead. And it didn't come this week. I can't quite stand that stuff. Anyway, so I'm just not having anything really. I'm wasting away slowly. (laughs) It explains why I can't remember anyone's name this morning. (laughs) Listeners will will be shocked to see the haggard figure of (laughs) Graham Donovan if they were able to do so. Probably a good job you can't. um, (laughs) Anyway, we are... um, uh, yeah, as you well, you, you may be listening to this in Lent, you may be not, um, but this is when it's being recorded, and um, uh, we've got a, a couple of things coming up. In um, in uh, if you are listening to this sort of in in two thousand and ten, you might be listening to it another time. But uh, we have a, a conference coming up in um, St Paul's Theological Centre here in London in May, which is a very exciting thing. We're doing a conference on the theology of the Holy Spirit. Mm. And we have uh, Jürgen Moltmann from Germany. We have uh, Miroslav Wolf from Yale University in the uh, United States. But from Croatia originally. But from Croatia originally. Croatia. Croatia, yes. Croatia, yes. that's it. Uh, and we have David Ford, professor of theology from Cambridge. And um, Rowan Williams, Jane's husband. Is coming. And us, more importantly. And us, exactly. And we actually are going to do two God pods. So this is something to be to be looking out for, that in... Uh, when this happens, we're um, we're going to be doing a God Pod with Jürgen Moltmann and uh, Ron Williams, and then a God Pod with um, David Ford and Miroslav Wolf. So that'll be something a bit extra. Be good to have some heavyweights <laughs> for a change. <laughs> 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 the lightweight stuff. Al- although out. with the rich tea biscuits, exactly. <laughs> although we are, I hope, inviting the Holy Spirit as well. <laughs> yes, but probably we won't do every say time, much, at least not <laughs> audibly. That's right. Well, we uh, we kind of trust the Holy Spirit here every time. But if if you want to come to that, you can uh, uh, apply on our. Uh, you can get to it to it through the um, the Alpha uh, website, um, and that's happening on May the twentieth and the twenty first later on this year, two thousand and ten. So you can be there in in person, or um, you can listen to the God Pods afterwards. So we got some questions for today, and um, we uh, have um, selected a couple that have come through to us from various people, and um, the first one. Is uh, somebody from Daniel Thomas, who um, 
So it's a very simple question. I just have a question on which creed best sums up the Christian faith. Is the Nicene Creed the best one out there? So that's the question. Which is your favourite creed, and uh, and why? I was um, watching uh, a TV program on the private life life of a masterpiece, where they take a painting, and um, uh, the, I was watching the one on Piero della Francesco's resurrection in San Sepulcro, uh, which some English famous English person I can't remember who described as the best painting in the world. And um, they were they're very proud of it in San Sepulcro, and they showed a class from a school children discussing this painting. And somebody, the teacher, proudly quoted this bit from an Englishman who'd said that it was the best painting in the world. And one child put his hand up and said, "The man who said that it was the best painting in the world had he seen all the others?" Yes. <laughs> um, I feel we're slightly in that uh, uh, invidious position. Mm. I, I have, probably haven't read every creed there is. There's lots of them out there, aren't there? But to come, this has never stopped us having opinions before. <laughs> no, that's Ignorance true. is that's no bar to <laughs> utterance, is it? That's true. Yeah, well, I guess that's right. And I suppose it depends on what you count as creeds, because there are kind of ecumenical creeds in the sense of creeds that the whole church adopts, like the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, and so on. Um, then there are more confessional creeds, aren't there, which which particular branches of the Christian church would adopt, whether the Lutherans or the... Um, um, anybody, really. Anybody. Yeah, the, right. uh, Calvinists or Presbyterians yeah. have the... Westminster well, there's some, confession. I suppose, I mean, we're, we're, we all happen to be Anglicans, and we don't really have a our own particular creeds, do we? There isn't really an Anglican some, creed. Some people would argue the 39 Articles. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. It's, yeah. A, statement of, it's a statement of faith. Theological belief. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. But anyway, back to the question, um, which is, uh, which creed is the best? And particularly the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed is the best. Um, <laughs> oh, you have it? <laughs> next, next question. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> because it is one that was hammered out at a time when... Um, the church was still largely undivided. Uh, so it's mm. it's the result of people um, from all different kinds of um, traditions, different parts of the world, actually, uh, tr- for the first time, trying to formulate mm. something that expresses something that we can all hold in common. Mm. Um, and obviously, you know, it, it, it expresses the, the particular uh, issues around at that at the time in the 4th and 5th centuries when it was being... Um, mm. hammered out so that the amount it says about Jesus is 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 uh, comes out of those controversies mm. that were happening at the time because it was the, the person of Jesus and his relationship to the Father mm. that was particularly under um, scrutiny at that time. It's worth, it's worth saying as yes, well the Nicene Creed was 325 AD. Um, well, I suppose you could argue that it was completed at Constantinople. In well, yeah, I was going to say, you'd have to add the Constantinople bit later yeah. on, but we'll come on to that in a moment. But... Um, but 325 is the Council of Nicaea when the when the creed was um, was was initially formed. Um, that'll, that'll be that'll be AD then, won't it? <laughs> AD, well done. <laughs> very good. Um, I one of the questions might be that you know, it is very much in the language of fourth century Christian debate, um, which is influenced very much by kind of Greek metaphysics, by kind of understandings of God in the language of of um, Hellenistic philosophy of, of the time, which we don't necessarily think in those terms today. So some people would say, well, actually, do we really need that creed that is in slightly outdated language, outdated sort of categories? Um, is that what we'd really want to say today? On the other hand, what it's trying to do is to insist upon 
the full divinity of, of Jesus. Um, and the language that it does it in um, takes that particular form, as if any kind of language has to take a particular form mm. influenced by the culture of its day. Mm. Um, but God of God, um, the, he, he comes from God, but he is himself mm. uh, fully divine, mm. very God of very God, true God of true God. Uh, those Those are things that, it seems to me that Athanasius, who was one of the key figures at the time, rightly perceived, um, was crucial. And that if you let go of that, then mm. you don't actually have any revelation of God in mm. Jesus. Mm. You don't know what God's like. Um, and you have no, you, salvation. You have no salvation because mm. it's not God you're dealing with. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And, and it also says that this God whom we meet in Jesus uh, is the God who created the universe. Um, so that it's not a new God, it's mm. God that has, who has always been working to, to draw people mm. towards himself, whom we see in mm. Jesus. Mm. It also says that Jesus came to a particular historical time, um, but that that Jesus, um, that the, the life and message and teaching of Jesus goes on in us, the church. It, it actually says a number of extremely profound things that, mm. um, that we lose at our peril, I think. Mm. Mm. And it's interesting when people try to um, make a creed that's relevant for today, um, that, that they often find themselves having to go back, actually, to mm. what the Nicene Creed says. It may well be that you want to say other things as well. Mm. You don't have to stop when mm. you say the Nicene mm. Creed and mm. say nothing mm. more mm. about God. Mm. But actually, if you want a summary of what we believe, it's a very good one. There's the thing about creeds, historical creeds, are that, as you say, it's, it's actually very difficult. It sounds, oh, you know, let's, let's make up a new one in new language. But no, number one, that's also as temporary as the language of other ages. We come up with language that makes sense in our age, and especially in a very fast-changing world. Who's to say that in 50 years' time that isn't going to mm. make sense in quite the same way? Um, the other thing is actually it's very difficult to actually get the whole church to agree on something, yes. um, as we know. And, and actually, within the Nicene Creed, we have something which is ecumenical in the full sense. It's, it's, it is which is worldwide uh, accepted by uh, as the sort of something that that Orthodox Christianity is about. And actually trying to reproduce that would be extraordinarily difficult, which is why it's so important we've got those sort of touchstones, those mm-hmm. those sort of landmarks in the past of particular creeds that um, uh, that have emerged through kind of long wrestling and discussion of, of, of theology. We don't actually nowadays, sadly, have any mechanism for producing mm-hmm. um, a statement of faith that everybody... Uh, can agree to, yeah, um, and which so actually makes the the historical creeds even so, more important. So irreplaceable. Yeah, yeah. they yeah. are vestiges of the undivided church, yeah. and should should and could therefore be mm. Mm. Um, really unifying things, mm. things that we can hold on to and say this is what the whole mm. church believes. Mm. Of course, even even the Nicene Creed or Nicene Constantinopolitan Creed, as it's mm. to give it its full title. Even that bears the marks of division, mm. sadly, mm. but in a perhaps in a way that's that forces us every time we say it mm. to to mourn the div- division of the church. The mm. the phrase uh, the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son is not accepted by the Orthodox churches, and was not, of course, there in the original. And was not creed. there in the original creed. Yeah, yeah. Um, we might have a little sort of caveat about mm. that clause, but there is a previous God Bob where we went into that in some length. Yeah on the, the filioque clauses, it's, it's, it's called, so you might want to go back and listen to that one. But of course, any statement of faith inevitably um, makes boundaries. Mm. 
Mm. Um, and it is, you know, one of the, the things that's both sad and necessary about mm. defining what we believe is that some people say, well, actually, no, that isn't what I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, but does that mean that it would be better never to define mm. what we believe? Clearly not. We can't go around never yeah. saying we believe mm. anything just in case somebody doesn't agree with us. Mm. Um, yes, I read a book recently by um, this Harvey Cox, I think, with the American theologian. Very interesting book. But he's kind of arguing that actually you don't really need creed. Creeds sort of fix, they sort of fossilize faith. You know, faith is a living thing. It's something that's organic and it grows and it's sort of alive. And creeds sort of a kind of a restrictive thing that, that, that sort of fossilize faith into, into particular forms. And actually we'd be much better, better off without them. Um, and yeah, I I, it, seems, it seems to me that, the, uh, on the contrary, that the creeds are actually rather like working out what the DNA of a living organism is. Mm. It says, you know, every cell has this in it. You know, whatever mm. different Christianity is incredibly diverse culturally mm. and in every way, linguistically, everything. Mm. Incredibly diverse movement. But wherever you go, you'll find the divinity yep. of Jesus being believed in, yep. being worked out, being lived lived out. Um, it's much more like the, the DNA of, of a living organism than something fossilized. Yeah. Something. And it's about, it's about identity too, isn't it? It's, it's about being able to say who we are and what we are in relationship to other groups of people who believe other things within mm-hmm. the world. That if you, know, if you want to know what Christians are about, um, this is one of the ways that doesn't, so the whole of it, because there's 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 more to Christian life than just a set of uh, uh, beliefs on a, on a piece piece of paper. And in some ways, the, the, the Nicene Creed itself actually points towards the living faith in Christ as the one who shares the same nature of the Father. Um, so it's not just a sort of fossilized set of beliefs well, that you tick off on a, on a list. In the same way that I knowing your DNA won't get to know you. I mean, the, the, yeah, exactly. It, but it's part of what enables you to be you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. I think. I mean, the other thing I'd, I would say about the Nicene Creed. I mean, we've 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 um, mentioned the whole sort of the Nicene Nicaea was was um, three two five, and then of course in the three eighties there was the Council of Constantinople, which three eighty one, Graham. Yeah, but he's no just a church thing. historian. <laughs> <laughs> it's a constant council. I do hope I've got that right. After yeah, I think you are, you know, you are right, definitely right, definitely right. Um, um, I'll try to re- yes, get my 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 train of thought back. Um, <laughs> Sorry, derailed as that always happens um, by a fact. You get the, yeah. <laughs> so the Council of Constantinople, three eight one. Um, of course, adds to the Nicene Creed, and adds quite significantly on, especially on its theology of the Holy Spirit, because of course in the Nicene Creed you just get I, we believe in the Holy Spirit, and that's about all it says. But then the, the Constant, Creed of Constantinople, after quite a lot of discussion on the theology of the Spirit, adds, you know, the, the Lord, the Giver of Life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son. Now that's a bit controversial because the and the Son bit. Uh, well, later on that's that, that's added. Um, but uh, you know, it, it fills out the, the the theology of the Spirit. And I suppose. The, point that makes it seems to me is that that creeds are the result of quite a long process of discussion which kind of reminds you that often theology takes time Mm. actually finding the mind of the church does take time it's not something that happens immediately it's not something that you can just quickly go to a proof text from the scripture and say right okay we all know what that's about actually that process of theological inquiry discussion it it takes time to work out what's truly christian from what is sub-christian and, and, and also, I mean, it wasn't just discussion round a coffee table with with rich tea biscuits. It was real um, uh, bitterness, mm. warring, mm. fighting. Um, mm. We are not the only age to have had 
um, extreme theological debate about what is essential to our faith. No, that's right. And mm. the it's painful because we live in a fallen world and, yeah. and for, forging your own identity tends therefore to be to come into clash with other people's identities and and that's yeah. almost a testimony to how much we need the truth mm. that's enshrined within it mm. 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 yeah but having a sense of your own identity actually seems to be a healthy thing not an unhealthy mm. thing having a sense of boundaries as to who you are and and being sort of confident with that rather than aggressive with it seems to be a, a sign of a sort of mature and healthy organization or person not a not a sort of um, a fixed and fossilized one. I think your point about the time that it takes is a, is an important one too, because um, a lot of movements try to start again. It's like you no know, yeah. jettison, ditch the past, mm. start again, and they nearly always end up in violence. Like one thinking of the year zero mm. in Cambodia, mm. where mm. We, we began again. Um, mm. and, and actually you can't begin again. So writing your own creed, I mean, mm. it's quite a useful exercise to say, what do I mm. think? What are my insights? What are my emphases? Mm. But actually you can't start from nothing. You're, yeah. you're part of a stream. You're part of a tradition. Mm. It has taken time. It does take time. Mm. Um, and we're dependent upon that. You can't saw off the branch you're sitting on. Well, you yeah. can, but it's not a good move, generally speaking. Yeah. Well, creeds do. I mean, they don't, as Jane says, they don't shut down theological discussion. No. There's still lots of room for debate around different aspects of the the creed and what it what it says, but I suppose it does it does give us a quite a helpful um, kind of boundary as to what you know where we find Christian orthodoxy and and warns us against about getting too narrow. I think that's the other thing because you can sort of define more closely exactly what we mean by the hypostatic union between the divinity and the humanity of Christ and, and, um, and so and exactly on. Exactly how you must administer communion. And yeah, or exactly how the, how the atonement works do. and so on. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Whether you're a dispensationalist or a pre-dispensationalist. Yeah. Right. And that's all, all interesting discussion and it's, it's, it's important to have it and that's all part of faith-seeking understanding. But it seems to me that, that to then fall out over those things which aren't tied down in the classic creeds of the Christian church is, is a shame. Mm. And the other thing, of course, about the creed is that... Um, we look forward. We would look forward to mm. the coming again in glory, mm. um, and uh, and to keep that horizon as part mm. of what we mm. believe is also, mm. I think, yeah, which is really which is partly why traditionally um, churchgoers have faced east to say it exactly to align yeah. yourself to mm. Mm. Um, the traditional kind of legendary site of Christ's return in, in the east. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So answer is we like the Nicene Creed. We do. We do. We do. Not that the others aren't bad, but we kind of like the Nicene Creed. So um, thank you, Daniel, for your question about that one. And um, uh, we will move on to another one, which is from um, someone called Glyn Hughes. And uh, Glyn starts his email with, uh, many congratulations on your brilliant podcast, My Only Criticism. We like criticism. Uh, do we? <laughs> <laughs> I thought we preferred the first bit. <laughs> well, hang on. Let's wait and see it. My only criticism is that you don't do them often enough. Okay. Um, all right. <laughs> uh, which is a, a very fair criticism, but sadly we, we have lives which we have to lead. And, uh, <laughs> it is a pity. God, is better than life. <laughs> <It is> <laughs> better than life itself. Um, so we would quite like to do it more often, but sadly we have other things to do. But um, uh, the question is, um, well, there's a lot of different questions in his email, but um, a couple in particular. Um, what happens when someone who's not been baptised dies? Do they still go to heaven? Do they get given an opportunity to be baptized immediately after death? The truth having by then been fully revealed, etc. So they're, they're going to fate of the unbaptized. That's one question. And then there's another question 
further along, which is about um, about suicide. Are people who commit suicide eternally damned because it represents the ultimate act of rebellion against God? So I guess two questions related to the same thing. But uh, maybe we can have a go at the first one first, which is the um, what happens? What's the significance of baptism in salvation? Um, does being unbaptized disqualify you from entry into God's full life? The first thing I think I want to say about the question is it, it's a really good question. Yes, it is. Because, because a lot of people you know, wouldn't ask that question because they don't have, you know, baptism doesn't appear on their radar screen. <laughs> they don't have a high enough view of baptism for it to rise as a question, arise as a question. Um, so I think it's, you know, baptism does matter. It is one of the things that we are called upon to do that Jesus commissioned his disciples to do at the Great Commission. And so questions like this rightly arise, it seems to me. And um, it's also a question that, of course, has caused enormous controversy throughout the history of the church. Um, So, for example, St. Augustine in the fourth century, um, who did believe that baptism was the sign of our regeneration, it marked our entry into the into the kingdom of God, into the people of God. Mm. Therefore, he did think it was it was it was vital, um, and that it made our connecting link with the life of God. Uh, had was then pushed, of course, as a result of that belief into to um, a, a situation, for example, of having to argue that uh, babies who are not baptized um, can't go to heaven and must exist in some kind of a strange um, interim state. Uh, which later became described as as limbo between heaven and hell, because clearly they 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 didn't deserve to go to hell, but they weren't part of the regenerate mm. people of God. Um, so so the, as I say, I think that's where Augustine was pushed by wanting to have a very strong ba- uh, theology of baptism, um, mm. rather than mm. wanting to say that 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 babies <laughs> live in limbo if they're mm. not baptized. Mm. Um, and he does make exceptions, doesn't he? Because he does he does say that you know normally speaking. Baptism is the the means by which the benefits of Christ are come to us. That's the channel through which uh, all that Christ has done for us comes to us and is applied to us. But he does acknowledge that there are cases like the thief on the cross, for example, mm-hmm. um, who uh, who is not baptized, uh, and yet Jesus promises paradise um, to him. So, so you can see how how Augustine sort of. He, he wants to hold to this very sort of strong view of baptism as being, you know, the, the divinely authorized means through which all that Christ has done comes to us. But he's not kind of ultimately legalistic yeah. about it, and wanting to say that actually there are there are exceptions. Yeah, and I, you know, you think of, for instance, the parable of the sheep and the goats, uh, and Jesus doesn't ask them whether they've been baptized mm, mm. it's actually how have you responded to me in the poor and suffering that you've come across um that's the key question mm. um and i think so what the great sort of anglican divine richard hooker says which i've always found extremely useful is that um we the the church know that this is something god has given to us this this symbol this the sacrament of baptism um that god promises to honor as mm-hmm. it were, it's, mm-hmm. it's um, but that God can do what He likes yes. outside that. So we we've given, we've been given our job, which mm. is to baptize people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, um, uh, but but also to to preach the the trustworthiness of God. Mm. I mean, I think the other thing is to, to go even further, and, and I would want to go even further anyway, and say um, it's not immediately clear. <laughs> 
even if somebody has never heard of, never heard the gospel, or um, you know, it's not immediately clear that they have not had some degree of relationship with God, which God will welcome and and use and um, mm. and, mm. and and use as means of welcoming them. And um, even where somebody has heard it and rejected it at one level we need to know more about what mm. they are rejecting what what is this image of god that they are saying no to because mm. it may well be that if we knew that we would agree with that and mm. say well you know that no if that's what you mean by god then you're right we to don't reject that. we don't believe in it either <laughs> yeah. um so there are a lot those are wide, wider issues it seems to me about yeah. uh, the, just underlining the fact that we don't know mm. Mm. anybody's anybody's fate <laughs> Yeah, the New Testament does say some quite strong things about baptism, doesn't it? I'm thinking of um, 1 Peter 3, which talks about how um, you know, Noah is saved through water, and it then goes on to say, this in verse 21, a baptism which this prefigured now saves you. It's quite a strong language that mm-hmm. baptism saves you, um, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And um, now that I think, bearing in mind all that we said before, that isn't. I, mean, I don't think. I mean, God isn't sort of legalistic in that sense of you know you have to be baptized, otherwise there's no way this can happen. But um, it does actually point to a higher place for baptism as one of the means of grace, as the theologians have always talked about it. Um, then sometimes we we give it. And it's it's partly. Um, I think we're not very good anymore at understanding about sacraments are we that that god um knows that we are embodied people mm. so mm. that about uh, baptism eucharist and so on they're not just things that we intellectually assent to they're mm. things that involve our whole being mm-hmm. the fact that you have water put on you mm. um is actually an important part of of what's going on you're taking your whole self mm. into um the new creation into the body of Christ. And is a huge affirmation of the physical, material exactly. world. Exactly. That, you know, ordinary things like water and bread and wine can be um, Im- embodied by God, can be, can be the vehicle mm. of, and indeed the presence of, his, mm. his being. Mm. Yeah. It was, and baptism was always something that, I mean, Luther always talked about, you know, in, in times of great temptation or doubt or, or, or anxiety or, you know, when you're, not quite sure whether you believe it all or or you're not quite sure whether God really likes you anymore. You know, what do you do? You, you go back to your baptism. Mm-hmm. You're talking about crawling back into your baptism. In other words, that baptism was a time when, of course, he's talking there about infant baptism, which um, not all Christians do, but you know, he's talking about a time when, in a sense, you, you, you were helpless and yet this thing was given to you. You mm-hmm. were baptized. You were as if God gave his, his seal uh, upon you at that time. And if you believe the things which baptism signifies you can go back to that and say well actually this isn't about me it's not about my feelings it's not about um the strength of my belief or the strength of my conviction actually it's about the the the, the initiative of god it's about god's grace that has come to me in christ um through baptism and, and through all kinds of other ways um but baptism becomes quite a consoling thing at that point and you can say well okay you know and maybe at the times i'm not quite sure whether i you know, whether I can believe this, that, or the other. But one thing I can say is that God has put his seal on me. Mm. Yes, it's an objective yeah. act, yeah. Um, which 
both symbolizes and embodies in some way yeah. an objective sure. event. Um, yeah. And that's why I think the the bit from um, one Peter two one, one Peter, Peter three yeah. one Peter three that that you quoted there is a kind of shorthand, isn't it? I it mean, is, yeah. it is God who saves us. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. Uses baptism as yeah. the means to link us to um, the cross. Really, yeah. we're an, baptized yeah, into right. His death. So it is Paul. an important point. It's not baptism that saves us. Yeah. It's God who saves us through Christ, through Christ and the yes. Spirit. Yeah. Not and baptism is the means by which that comes to us. One of the means of grace. So that's that. Yeah. Mm. I also find it very moving. Always to remember that baptism is um, an unbroken sacrament throughout the church. D- divided church as it is, we mm. recognise each other's baptism. Mm. Um, so if people change denominations, they are not generally speaking rebaptized. Mm. Mm. Um, so that is. And it would be very theologically odd. For them to be required to do so, Absolutely. wouldn't it? Yeah. What would that be saying? Yeah. You know, mm. the, some Paul talks about one faith, one baptism. Yeah, um, mm. yeah. So it, I guess it always imply yeah. different God. Yeah. 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 So I guess it's, it sounds like our answer is that we there aren't hard and fast rules on this. That it's not, not as if there's a if you're unbaptized that immediately disqualifies you from God's life. But if it's something that Christ has commanded us to do, therefore it's something we should take as seriously as He does. Mm. Um, and I think, I mean, of course, in, in terms of this, this was a live issue in time of martyrdom mm. when mm. people would often be converted and, and put to death for their faith yeah. before they had a chance to be baptized. And, and the yeah. view was that their death yeah. was their baptism. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it was taking the symbolism very literally indeed of, of baptism being a symbol of death, yeah. dying into, into, into the death of Christ. What about the, um, the suicide question? Because I guess that is a quite a, Kind of difficult pastoral one for a lot of people who've who've known friends, family who've committed suicide and have wondered: um, Does that mean that um, they cannot mm. they cannot be saved? Uh, is that, as the question says, the ultimate act of rebellion against God? I I had a, a very good friend who committed suicide in her twenties um, and went to the funeral, which was packed. And was were kind of filing out afterwards, um, past the family. And uh, her mother said to me, uh, as I kind of gave my condolences, she said, "She won't be damned, will she?" Mm. Um, and there and then wasn't a time to kind of unpack a theology of all this. But I, I wrote her a long letter, and it seems to me this is a very realist view for people, and p- partly, and I think. I personally believe horrendously the church has uh, sometimes given the impression that suicide is the unforgivable sin. Well, uh, that seems to me to be based on a very, very faulty and limited view of the cross, as if the cross only deals with your past sins and not your future ones as well. Um, no, the cross dealt with the whole lot. And, and even if it is a sin, and I, sometimes I wonder whether it's, not an act of rebellion at all, or, or even a sin at all. It's just that somebody cannot face the next 10 minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we don't know how awful that is for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but even if it is a sin, it's still covered by the cross. Yeah. <laughs> the question is, where, what's the overall orientation of your life? Where where mm-hmm. have you headed yourself? You may have, you know, the last thing you do may be, the, be a wrong thing. That doesn't matter. It's covered. The cross covers that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is... I, I personally believe that, that to say, you know, suicides can't um, be saved is is a denial of the cross and, and the full dimension of the cross. 
I think that that anybody who has, as you say, might be close to somebody who has been driven to suicide. I certainly have never come across anybody um, in that situation for whom it was an act of rebellion against God. No. It was a act of desperation. Desperation and complete um, lack of belief that that you, that you were worth anything. Mm. Um, and if you look at Jesus's ministry, it is exactly to those people that Jesus reached out, the people who didn't believe they could be worth anything to anybody. Mm. And and therefore, I think, again, you you trust the love of God. Um, to that th- th- Those people in their desperation have never been able to experience, have not at that time been able to experience or feel the love of God. Um, but the love of God is still there for them. They, God did, does still love them. Yeah. Um, I, I, again, I had a, a good friend who... Um, was a, in his teens and twenties. Was a very lively, very funny, very um, uh, an amazing guy. Very full of full of life in all kinds of ways. And then was sort of hit by this very severe depression, and ended up taking his own life, sort of in his um, early forties. And uh, I had to take his funeral. And um, and then you, you're bound to think of that question: mm-hmm. what, what are you going to say about this this person's life? And I can remember that. Um, and I've I've actually taken two funerals in my time of people who um who've, who've uh, committed suicide. In both cases, really, I, I had a very strong sense that they'd been, as it were, taken over by something that wasn't them. It was a bit like this depression had waved over them, a little bit like a I mean, like an illness, like a something which had had come upon them, afflicted them, made them do things which were not really them in a way. Um, and uh, and often depression works that way. It is a, a kind of uh, of illness that um, that leads you to do stuff that is to feel certain ways and to think certain ways that just are not mm. who you really are. Um, and I suppose it's some. Um, it, it just reminds you in a way that that uh, that un- underneath um, that it, it is possible to go through times of severe doubt um, and. Uh, to feel the kind of blackness of the world, and yet that in itself is not necessarily the absence of faith. I mean, I often go back to Psalm, I think Psalm eighty-eight, which is about the bleakest psalm in the whole Bible. Um, there's not a chink of light in it; it's all misery, darkness. God has abandoned um, the psalmist. Psalm of human, isn't it? Um, so uh, is it yes? He man the Israelite. That's right. Yeah, he man the Israelite. And it, it ends. You know, the last verse. You have taken away my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. That's that's the note it ends on. Mm. Uh, and yet, it's there in the Bible. Uh, and here is this this psalm of utter darkness, depression. Here is someone who hardly believes anymore, apart from the fact that it's somehow addressed to God. Mm. Um, He's not able to say anything positive about life. You know, mm-hmm. the darkness is his closest friend, but it, it's there as a, as a as a sort of cry to God. And I, and I suppose back to your point, Mike, that if underneath the orientation of a person's life is actually to to, to search for God, even if they can't find them at that moment, mm. um, you trust in the goodness and the mercy of uh, of God, who sees the whole of a life, not just yes. the last moment. Yes. And of course, the impact on people who loved that person and feel that they failed them. Hmm. Is enormous, isn't it? Um, I mean, I think the, the the sort of shock waves of somebody committing suicide hmm. um, are seismic hmm. Hmm. Um, for those concerned. And it is worth saying that hmm. that um, people in that state of extraordinary 
darkness and depression, sometimes do it as an act of love. They feel that the people around them will be better off without them, mm-hmm. that, they're, that, that they are so draining life and hope mm-hmm. and um, things out of the people around them. That, so it isn't actually done, mm-hmm. as, as it feels as though it's done. It isn't done usually as, as a, mm-hmm. a, um, a, a violent act mm-hmm. against those who yep. love that person. Yep. Uh, and I suppose with the, yeah, I guess the other thing that Christian faith says about it is that, you know, yes, there are times like that of severe doubt, depression, temptation, and yet, yet you know, the the last word in Christian faith is is, is life, not death. Mm. It's, it's resurrection, not mm. not cross. Yes, we go through times of lesser or greater severity like that, but in the end, they are sort of swallowed up by the goodness and the size and the breadth of life and resurrection and. And, and joy ultimately mm. Mm. even though you can't sometimes mm. it's difficult to see that and feel it sometimes you have to kind of hold on to the presence of that even if you can't feel a bit of mm. it and that can sometimes be difficult in in some christian circles where you, you know you're expected to feel sort of happiness and joy all the time and when it goes you think well gosh what happens now mm. has god abandoned me uh, answer no he hasn't um it's still possible to hold on to to that hope of resurrection life even if you don't feel a bit of it and that's one of the things that the cross tells us isn't it the fact that jesus on the cross asks the question if god has abandoned him yeah, yeah. Um, is hugely significant yeah. isn't it yeah. and yet paul says god was in christ yes. reconciling yeah. himself to the world but yeah. you, and the two do not cancel each other out exactly yeah well rather Slightly somber, yeah. somber <laughs> discussion today, but we need cake instead of rich tea biscuits. I think we do, yeah. I've, I've, not, I've, I've been looking at my rich tea biscuits through most of this because they're very noisy things to eat. Actually, rich tea biscuits. Not if you dunk them, Jane. You. You can then have it with a spoon <laughs> from the bottom of your tea. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Jane will, now, Jane will now eat lots of soggy biscuits. <laughs> I'm going to chomp for a bit. You and, you and Mike can talk. Right? <laughs> I think chomping sounds is perfectly legitimate on God Pod, because <laughs> we do it quite a lot. Yeah. So um, anyway, that's the um, end of uh, God Pod 52. Thank you very much for listening and for those of you who sent in emails. And for the, yeah, very good questions. So very good you. questions. Yeah, and do, do do keep coming them in if you do sending them in. That's the word. Um, <laughs> if you have questions, do you want to send? Um, uh, do send them in to us, and uh, that would be um, very good. I did. I did actually notice that one of these was addressed to the Godpod gang, which makes us sound like a sort of <laughs> bunch of sort of hoodies in, <laughs> in the Bronx in New York or something, you know, and if, beating up people. But. If people have particular questions they'd like us to ask, Jürgen Maltman, Miroslav Wolf. David Ford or Rowan Williams, could they email them to Indeed. us? Indeed, yeah, we'll very, very store good. them up and yes. see what um, see what we can do. Particularly to do with the Holy Spirit, because mm. that's the topic of that of that conference. But um, so yeah, so um, goodbye from me and from me and from me with my mouth full of biscuits. That was God Pod, a podcast from the St Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org.uk. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try. Until next time, goodbye.